Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by the co-creators of the Instagram handle LGBT History and co-authors of We Are Everywhere, Protest, Power, and Pride in the History of Queer Liberation, Leighton Brown and Matthew Reamer, where I ask, do we know enough about queer history? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Benes. I'm so excited for this week's episode. Instagram icons. Well, I'm actually think your icons in real life too, but I've been following your Instagram for such a long time and it's so important and I'm so excited to meet you in real life finally. Welcome to Getting Curious, Matthew Reamer and Leighton Brown. Thank you very much. Thank so you very much. can I tell you, this is only the second time in Getting Curious, third time in Getting Curious <laughs> history where I've had two guests. Oh. Yes, because usually I don't, but you guys are too important to, you can't, you know, divide. we got to have you guys together. Um, if you don't know who these two are, they run the incredible account on Instagram, LGBT underscore history, um, which his I think made me a more well-rounded I gotta see you in the eyes there we go um which I think has made me a more well-rounded person um generally and I really just have to say thank you so much for doing what you do because I think it is just so moving and so great and and but actually important I think is the first word that I would say to it it's such an example of like you know how people would say like in the 90s like tv like for your brain and whatever it's like I feel like Instagram can kind of have that rap now but it really is such an example like what you put into something is what you get out of it and um your knowledge of history and being able to put history into perspective is so deep and so amazing and I so all of y'all you should pause the or pause Instagram pause the uh, podcast right now and follow lgbt underscore history if you don't already um and yeah so welcome so Matthew and Leighton, how did it happen? Like, you were just, like, minding your own business one day, and you were like, these people don't know anything about queer history anymore. Well, yes, but we were talking about ourselves. Uh, It really was this realization that we knew nothing, and it was just for our own self-satisfaction, self-education, really, that we started separately down these paths and uh, started learning, collecting pictures, and, and Instagram followed a couple months later. Yeah, it was in the, uh, it was early, it was just about four years ago, so early 2016, uh, that we decided, not knowing anything about social media, that we uh, we decided to just share some of what we had researched on Instagram, um, and yet it hit a nerve, and as it, as it took off, uh, you know, our research grew more intense, and, and um, it's just kind of grown from there, but, but yet, I mean, to your question, we didn't know we didn't know anything and and you know as as white privileged cis able-bodied men um both of whom were history majors in undergrad if we didn't know anything um you know who who did and and we had the privilege and the ability to research and to do this and once we started it it's kind of consumed <laughs> consumed our lives so it started uh, four years ago uh yeah and that's when the yeah. that's when the Instagram started, right? Yeah, I think I followed you for at like I feel like I've followed you since before Queer Eye. Like I feel like I've been following you for years. I rem- well, yeah, Gay of Thrones followed us. Yeah, that <laughs> yep. was me before yeah, JVN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've followed you forever. Yeah. Oh, yay! Yep. I'm glad I knew. <laughs> um, I think I learned a bit from my friend Matthew because I saw like he had like put, like re- regrammed something in. So when you started doing it. 
So you basically started because you had an absence of information that you wanted to have more on, which I think is interesting because I read about how you both were undergraduate history majors. And I think it's one thing that I've often kind of, well, I hear people talking about it and I feel like, oh yeah, that is true. We don't really learn anything about LGBTQ history in school. Like it's really never talked about. No, and at most levels. I I mean, I was a history major. I mean, I, I will fess up to being closeted at the time, so I didn't seek out what was available but even then in in college 20 years ago there just was a very small amount of of coursework if to any depending on the school i think well and and you know even now as as we start to see uh lgbtq plus history uh somewhat start to make its way into so um, california and illinois a couple other states have started to integrate which is great we we applaud that but we have to ask what what stories are being told and and from what lens and by and large it's this uh perspective of um this long march toward equality how how our people have uh pulled themselves up in order to integrate into the broader culture as opposed to telling our stories it's uh, look you know look how they've cleaned themselves up and and yeah and, and also how what how society has led us in gradually over time what the heteronormative dominant society has done for us right rather than what our community has done to fight for so you feel like the that's progress. a narrative that's been assigned to these to these uh curriculums in california and illinois well that's i think that's largely the the way that what marginalized histories are told generally especially in america well i say especially i i'm i just that's know, where I, we know the most right, yeah right. of course that that it's you know in order to form a more perfect union that it's, it's you know there's flaws in the system but it's all been a march toward uh liberty and equality all men being created equal when that's just not true i mean this this was set up as an oppressive system and it's been a long it's an ongoing fight for basic decency and uh, too often it's told that look how nice the oppressor has been by giving us and i did scare air quotes there uh by giving us these uh, things that are are ours. I mean, these rights are ours. But and, in reality, in the Constitution, you would think that it was like there in the first place. Like right, if all men absolutely. were created equal, but really, like we know, we we know that that's like only if you were like a white property right, owner, exactly, right? A white and, man and property owner. I mean, certainly, in my opinion, the the Supreme Court, especially just one justice, did not give us, for instance, the right to marry. We had that right. It was just recognized by a majority of the Supreme Court a few years ago. Right. And and so as as the Instagram, I mean, but let, let's be clear that when we started the Instagram account, we very much were looking at it from the lens of that uh, that narrative. And we, we it was a look how far we've come uh, account. Um, you know, it was it was pre it was pre Trump. I mean, Trump, he was it was the, I guess it was the prime it, primaries had started. He was there, but everyone it was a joke. Right. It wasn't going to happen. Um, and and. Yeah, so it was. It that's how that's where we were at, and Pulse happened, and that was a that was kind of a turning point. People flocked to the account. I think looking for kind of an anchor, yeah, looking, uh, to connect their ang- their anger and their rage and their grief uh, with history. Um, and then you know, a- as the as the pro- as the election season went on, and after he got elected, um, something shifted with what we were doing, and it became. We no longer did the look how far we come, but it's now look what we have to do, and that we have the tools to do it, and that we've been here before. Um, but if we don't meaningfully connect uh, 
uh, with our history, which in every sense shows that, you know, when one of us is oppressed, all of us are oppressed. Uh, we are going to keep doing these same things over and over and over and over again. So what's been the most eye-opening thing that, uh, I mean, so uh, so basically what I hear you saying there is that like, you know, a common thread through history has been that like when one of us is oppressed, all of us is oppressed. And that is a cycle that continues to repeat itself. So what has been some of the most like eye-opening things that you have come to see that, that that's something that people don't really think about or that's not commonly widely known when it comes to queer history? Uh I, I mean, I, I think the, the length of it, I mean, going back so well beyond before Stonewall, um, which was just because we happened upon this through Frank Kameny, who had been a, a D.C. activist. And so I think that's sort of where my focus started with collecting photographs and things like that. And uh, so it was eye opening to see how far back it went. Because um, you say that one quote about Lincoln, which is that like... Uh, you won't say for sure that Lincoln was gay, but you'll fight someone who says that he wasn't. Right. That's what, I mean, we've, from the start, we we don't want to assume either way, whether it comes to yeah, sexuality or gender or, or themselves, well, of course. Sure. Lincoln was gay. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, but, 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 right, right, okay. we, but when there are facts that indicate that, say, Lincoln was in what fact the facts? gay. Just like gorgeous letters. Well, but. So I mean, it's, it's, I mean, yes, those are certainly the letters. And, and so there's this, well, okay, there's a lot, but he loved jo, uh, jo, Joshua Speed's thighs. Joshua Speed was his lover. I mean, that, you know, we have to prove that. Uh, but so, you know, he lived, there's this thing where he, so he, li- when he got to Springfield, he lived, shared the same bed with uh, Speed. And Speed, you know, it's, everyone says, oh, everybody shared beds. It was the circuit back then. Yes, a lot of people lived on the circuit and they shared beds. What's the circuit? So it's just like, you know, people lived in... in oh, the campaigning circuit? Well, in rooming houses, especially yeah. if you were well, a lawyer. Well, this was earlier than his... If you were a lawyer and, and you know, you go to the circuit courts and... Uh, oh. so, a lot of, a lot, so there's a lot of stories of people who just, you know, in rooming houses and otherwise would share beds. Well, fine, great. For one thing, just point blank, a lot of those people who... Sh- or some of those people who were sharing beds were queer. So... It doesn't matter that that's great. That was like a fun, convenient way to be like, oh, we have to share these beds. <laughs> right. That's like the same thing as like when you're still living with your parents in high school and you're like, oh, can I have so-and-so yeah, spend exactly. the night? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd be like, no girls. It, it'd be uncomfortable yeah. on a, <laughs> yeah. in a sleeping bag on the floor. Yeah. Right. It just so happened, though, that Speed was uh, ran the general store. He sold beds. So it wasn't a lack of beds that was the problem. And yeah, in the letters, it's it's. The man, Lincoln, loved Speed, and he loved him physically uh, and was destroyed when they parted. Give and, us and, examples. I want thigh poetry from the 1800s. Uh, I mean... Do you remember anything off the not, top not, of your tongue? No, so, but there actually is a, a Lincoln poem about gay marriage. Uh, there it, is? Yeah. Yeah, there is. That he what wrote. does he say? I mean, it's just about two men getting married. I mean, it's... it. Yeah. No, I mean that. What is he? What? It's just a no. It, there's not. He doesn't say anything. It's just a lark about you know about two men getting married. Did, did they have names? Yes. I don't. I can't. Like, uh, I can't, honey, we need yeah. to get a screenshot of that and post that on LGBT history. Yeah. Well, those never do very well. But I agree with you. But you know, ac- well, according to Instagram, oh, whatever. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. This. Stuff- so why did they part ways? Because because he had to go. He got elected, or he didn't get elected. Because didn't he, like, lose Congress and lose... Or no, he was a congressman and then he lost the Senate and then he, like, did something else or something? 
you heard of the, you heard of the Illinois yeah. expert, right? Like, uh, yeah, I know. Us neither. We're not. We're he was not, from Kentucky uh, or something. <laughs> <laughs> but they do call Illinois the land of Lincoln. So, but what else? What else? So, Chris, so he loved his thighs. <laughs> and he said that in a letter. Yes. What other gay stuff did he say in letters? A lot. I So, I'm going to, I I can't, there is a book about Lincoln's queerness which Ugh. now i can't even think of the name that's which i okay. feel like I'm, I'm failing at the oh, at citation we're gonna have quiz it right now. <laughs> i do that sometimes it's like oh sorry i didn't prep you for that so i'm giving you a pop quiz who knew <laughs> yeah. i didn't know either it our focus is uh, <laughs> contemporary <laughs> no, yeah well not contemporary but more just sort of after, actual queer liberation the, the actual fight for it yes. so not as and much wasn't really in that particular no way. so not as much historical figures who are known for other reasons that there right. is at at least circumstantial evidence that they were that they were queer, which but is that, how but we that, view Lincoln. But that history is extremely important, and that's where we started. I mean, so it, we 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 started from with, with a perspective of um, you know queer history, LGBT history, as the name suggests, um, uh, being kind of the history of queer people, and of course that's infinite, right? That's forever. Yeah. Um, as it went on, and and our and our kind of point or goal got more focused it's yeah it's become about uh the history of organizing around common identities and a common oppression uh to to fight back and 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 to to you know beat oppression um and and how that has manifested and and in particular toward this kind of ambiguous goal of liberation which means a lot of things to a lot of different people but but uh, and then, you know, there's always been a tension between kind of liberation and rights. So trying to use traditional means of politicking uh, to, you know, get representation in the system versus trying to create a new beautiful system. Well, I think that like for so many people that are in the age box of like, you know, 18 to like uh, 34 or 35, maybe 40. It's like, how did we get here? Because the, the, um, like the, the weaponization of rights and queerness and, and what happened in the eighties to LGBTQ people and how HIV, um, played into that like fear narrative and played into that sort of further oppression and like fear mongering that like, so, you know, so much marginalized and oppressed, um, the gay community in the, in the eighties. But how did that come to be? Because, like, you know, you think of, oh, rude. We're going to, I'll finish that question right after just like a few quick commercials, a few quick little, you know, breaky poos. Who knows what I'm going to be saying? I don't know. Really quick commercial, and then we'll be right back. So, basically, I would like to, what I was asking right before the break is like, for people of the ages of like 18 to 40, it's like, how did this fight come to be? What set this, what were the kind of factors that set the stage for this gorgeous queer liberation to take place? Which, you know, and you guys wrote a book last year that came out that was called, um, I'm finding it right here, We Are Everywhere, Protest, Power, and Pride in the History of Queer Liberation. So what was the things that kind of set the stage for these to even uh, come to be spoken about? Uh, it's countless. It's infinite. I mean, and it started really, I mean, at the end of, well, the, like about 1865, 1870 in Europe, uh, as, as for the first time, uh, it, people started to identify as 
queer as homosexual. They as, did? Yeah. So, I mean, as opposed to it being something you did, it became something you were, as opposed to it being a criminal act or just an abnormal act. Right. So, sort of, yeah, an identity more than just what you did behind closed doors. And and it, and then it slowly, well, not, I mean, actually relatively quickly uh, built from there and and uh, making its way into the, the state's and particularly at the turn of the 20th century as the United States moved to the cities where queer people found them, found each other. Um, and then through the wars with soldiers finding each other in particular and it just built and built and built. And then we have, I mean, the years starting around 1948, 1950 with the Madison Foundation uh, and Harry Hay, which was this really radical organization um, that was somewhat linked to uh, uh, the Communist Party uh, and and as it started to get a little bit more successful, um, it it was taken over by conservatives, moderates who didn't want to be militant. They didn't want to be they, they didn't want their own special culture. They just wanted to be like everybody else. And that's kind of set the stage for a lot of what's happened since. And there's been this tension uh, ever yeah ever since that that you know it's gone back and forth. They set the stage for 15 years. So what we know is is that Stonewall is not the beginning of anything. It was the result of a great deal of work. Um, but you know, to answer your question, uh, it's not. There weren't just a few things, and that's what's so. That's what's been so liberating to us, and what we try to impart um, is that you know, it's not just a few things. It's not just a few people. It's not just. It's it's endless. It's it's and and they all deserve time and attention and once you connect with the fact that your history is as big as history uh it's it's really anchoring it's really uh life affirming right now i i think throughout time there there are sort of periods of, of catalyst that that propelled the movement forward to some extent usually moments of of greater oppression uh, whether it was the Lavender Scare with McCarthy, and then, I mean, well, Stonewall with the raids, and then... What uh, was the Lavender Scare with McCarthy? So, the the Red Scare, which is popularly known, uh, was the, the attempt to root out communists from the federal government and society at large, really. Uh, and so, with the Lavender Scare, as part of that, uh, anybody who was queer was considered a deviant... And and essentially, they saw them as blackmail targets. So they were threats to national safety, security. So backing up a little tiny bit. So the Mattachine Society, I've heard of that before. So that was like the is that like the first like LGBT rights group as we know it or something? Uh, so technically, the first that so, we really know of was the uh, Society for Human Rights, which was uh, in in Chicago in 1924. Um, and there were probably others. That's one thing that we always have to caution with when we're talking about this. Is this is an undiscovered terrain? Um, it was certainly uh, Mattachine was certainly the first that that stuck and 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 grew. Um, yeah, because I think the thing that I was kind of trying to lead in that last question is that like 
um, when we think about like uh, the 80s and the Reagan administration and about like um, the idea of like, you know, pol like policing the morality of like queer people and, and, you know, anyone who would want, you know, an abortion. And you think about like Phyllis Shafley and like that whole era of like really like demonizing queer people and othering queer yeah. people. So and I was just wondering, like, has that happened in the 20s and the 30s? Like, has that always been the case? So that start, <clears throat> so that really does start when we, then this is a, a lot of, of the book. I mean, that, this, that really starts with the lavender uh, scare that, that in the, you know, after the depression, after the war, uh, the war two, that, that, um, you know, America kind of started, or the United States kind of was looking for normality, was looking for uh, home and the domestic sphere. And others, they started to blame others. They started to look for any threat, domestic and foreign. Um, and, you know, we, we were an easy target because we had just started to peek our head out uh, uh, over the whatever and, and uh, the covers. Um, and, and yeah, it starts there. And so with the Lavender Scare, you know, people talk about the Red Scare, that we rooted out communists. It was a horrible time. There's no question. But that lasted about four years. The lavender scares in a, lot, in a lot of way continues. I mean, the trans ban in the military is part of the lavender scare. For, up until the mid seventies, there were still banned. There were still banned from hiring queer people in the government, and and for a lot of agencies, for the for the classified agencies, so FBI and CIA, that went up to the nineties. I mean, the lavender scare lasted forever, and of course, the way and that included anybody who contracted with the government, and that is countless and countless uh, companies. So I mean, it trickled down. And yeah, so that absolutely set the stage uh, for for the the policing. And and Donald Trump is the culmination. That's why we cannot get into the 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 kind of pattern that he is some kind of you know uh, outlier. He is the culmination of what's been happening since at least Barry Goldwater in '64, if not before. So World War II was like 1944. One to 1945 and then the cold war because i think a lot of people like don't even know what that was like i mean right like i feel like a lot of people like so what was that uh the cold war well i mean the cold war was essentially the two world powers throughout it the, the u.s and soviet union um sort of on the brink of war nuclear war uh, they would do proxy wars, uh, Korea, Vietnam, uh, various other locations, but they would, they knew it would probably be annihilation to just go head to head. And so it was just this sort of cold standoff, um, as far as just all out war. And that lasted from, I mean, shortly after World War II, it started, I mean, really within a few years until I guess it was 1989 when the Soviet Union started to crack that was when the, the berlin wall came down i think it was more like 91 or so when yeah. the soviet union completely collapsed but that just it reminds me of like how and the way that like islamophobia was really popularized and you know disseminated after 9-11 and even through the 90s after the first iraq war it seems like the idea of a communist and the idea of communism was the really chic thing to scare middle america into voting for republicans in like the 60s and 70s like, that was the cudgel that, like, Republicans used to, like, really stoke fear. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I'm old enough, uh, embarrassingly, to remember that 
I mean, I wasn't in the hide under your desk era. <laughs> I'm not that old, but I mean, it was still, well, well, you know, Hollywood, you certainly saw it throughout the 80s. I mean, the stereotypical bad guy was this large Russian who was, you know, out to get us all. And, right. But, and, but th- there was what, what sometimes get lost in the discussion is that, that, so during the Red Scare, there were two different things. There was loyalty and security risks. So loyalty risks were communists. Uh, there were people who wanted, who did, who didn't believe in the American system. They wanted to betray the government. Security risk were people who were likely to be taken advantage of because of their lifestyles, and people contemporarily or contemporaneously, one of those two, would have known the difference. We very often overlook it when they, when people were talking about uh, loyalty, no security risks. They were talking mainly about queer people. That they, that was a code word. So when you go back and read. Uh, papers from the newspapers from that time and you see the word loyalty risk security risk sorry and you see the word security risk they're talking about queer people and, and it so it wasn't just the big bad communist boogie person it was queer people that they were talking but, about and that, and that starts that builds toward the and then there there were a, a series in the mid 50s and early 60s of heinous crimes uh by you know psychopaths against children uh, that were linked to homosexuals. I mean, they weren't, they were pedophiles. Uh, and that was propagated ironically or horribly both by J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI, himself a homosexual. Uh, and that really shaped the narrative of the se- sexual well, psychopath. I think, I think it's really important to remember that these so-called security risks, it wasn't that in any way they, they wanted harm upon the U.S. or its citizens. It's that... They had, they could be blackmailed. And why could they be blackmailed? Because of their deviant behavior that society shunned and, and even outlawed. And then they turned that on them and saying that was what made you a security risk. So homosexual acts like were on the books as illegal through like the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s? Yeah. So up until, up until, um, oh God, uh, Hardwick, up until Bowers v. Hardwick. Well, actually, no, no. That that was what well, Lawrence v. Texas, which yeah, was what oh four or one early two thousands. Uh, it was still legal for us. It was still constitutional for a state to criminalize uh, sodomy, and 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 at by that point, I mean, I think it was still twenty plus states that that did. And and you know, in nineteen eighty six or eighty seven, in the at the height, uh, right as the the epidemic took hold. Uh, when, when a lot of queer people still wanted to believe that the government was going to help, that there was still some reason to believe, the Supreme Court announced Bowers v. Hardwick, which affirmed the constitutionality of, of, of anti-sodomy laws. Basically, they did. Yeah, basically yeah. saying In the mid-80s, you, 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 you can criminalize. And, that, that is and the, what was the reason? Was the precedent states' rights or something? Uh, well, no, they, they, no, that was, and that was what was even most offensive about it. I mean, they, they basically said it, morality. They basically said it, that they, I mean, it's just, it's gross. Um, there's no way that the constitutional right to privacy would possibly include, and, and that the constitutional protection of family never would think of family as being. And that, that's what I mentioned, how there were, throughout time, there were catalysts that sort of. So what was that Supreme, I've never heard of that case before, yeah. Bower, Bowers. Bowers v. Hardwick. Yeah. And it, it really was the turning what was that case about? Who was Bowers and who was Hardwick? Well, so Hardwick, I'm going to get this confused. One of them was the uh, was an official in Georgia who was getting sued. One of them was somebody who was arrested 
under or charged under these anti-sodomy laws. And I think it was a the details I'm not Bauer I'm not. Bowers was the defendant, the the gay guy. Okay. And and yeah, I mean it was a, it was a test case. So was he Hard, was okay. he having sex or something? Where was he? It was oral. There he was. He was because sodomy was broad enough to to include oral and and um right and so they, they so they were in a park sucking dick no no they were in their no, bedroom home in their home yeah. in bedroom in home yeah, it was illegal sucking dick at home it was illegal and the cops showed up to their house so, for something no, he, unrelated and he found and the cop found him having sex and so he fucking arrested him for sodomy in 1980 the and then the Supreme Court sided with the cop. Yeah, with yeah. the state. I mean, oh yeah. my god! Right. And 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 it's so it's one of those moments. And get out of my bedroom! I'm stuck in dead. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's one of those moments where as, you know both of y'all are saying that that to read the to read the response uh, is remarkable uh, from the community. It someone described it as as that's when rage set over. So what happened? Up. We took to the streets, and and we and it's not fair to say that like it was that moment. We had taken to the streets right. to a certain extent, but that is when things that was, snapped. Right, that was part of the turning point in the in the within days. I mean, because it so the, sorry the the the, announce, the decision was announced twenty four hours after Pride nineteen eighty six. It was so June thirtieth or June or July first nineteen eighty six. So it which just, isn't that a lot of times when the big Supreme Court decisions right, come out? Right. Yeah. So just after Pride, they had that that this came out, and yeah, the community, and people were dying. At oh, that point, I that, mean, the that, hundreds of thousands of people yeah, were it like, started, like the re- I mean, it had really not that they weren't already, but I mean, it was real. I mean, it was it, it, it had set in the epidemic and and that was the government's way of saying, fuck you. Like, you, we don't care. And not only do we not care, but, but people can it's harass criminal. you. It's criminal. Yeah. And, 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 and it definitely helped. It was definitely a big part of the sort of the despair that was setting in. And I and I think some of the but Reagan would go on to win reelection two years later. Uh, no, he's, he, so that he was, was his second, his second term, term, but Bush then. won. Bush won in Oh, but, that, but the original arrest was in 82. Yeah. Right, and then right. The decision wasn't until 86, 86, I think it was. Right. Got it. Oh, we're going to take a really quick break, and they'll be right back with more Matthew and Lane after the break. Welcome back to Getting Curious. <laughs> so, so that decision comes down in 86, and people were pissed. Yeah. No, and it's really it's really amazing uh, um, and that, that the rage that we allowed because so for so long uh, so much of the activism in in well in marginalized communities generally but but in particular within our community has been checking rage and and really unwisely in our estimation that that because people you know people with access to power generally white middle class men run the organizations that 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 you know are are our main talking uh organizations our main talking organizations our main advocacy groups um and they push out the radical voices they push down marginalized people because we don't want that face forward after bowers it they just kind of step back because what are you going to do i mean they they're criminalizing us when we're when we're trying to be visible so essentially okay so we need to put that timeline in perspective so basically because when because before when i was like what were the things that kind of set up the 80s and you were basically saying like honey this shit's been fucking getting set up for like hundreds of years like all the way back to like the 1860s it's like a whole thing so then you were saying with the mattachine society from the 50s into this like for like 15 years it was more like 
I'm paraphrasing here, but like, yes, queen, let's be like, let's be who we are. Like we are fierce. We are progressive. <laughs> we are slaying it. And then after like 15 years, like some more like essentially like the tarps in Britain were like, no, 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 no. Stop so, all that queer stuff. We need to like button it up and not scare the children so that, that they'll accept us. It was only a couple years uh, before they they came they came around. It was only a couple years, uh, and then for a longer period. So the machine. So the fun people were there for like a couple years. They they were they did they got big because they took on uh uh they took well they went a little public and they got a bunch of new members. A bunch of the new members were more moderate conservative. That's when everyone got buttoned up, forced out the radicals. Uh, that was in L.A. and up and down uh, the coast. Then uh, the next decade, Frank Kameny in D.C. came along. He really, he and Barbara Giddings from Philadelphia kind of led the movement to the streets. Is that 60s? Yeah. yeah. Uh, following, you know, absolutely building on, and, and on the shoulders of the black civil rights movement and working, of course, with black queer people. Uh, they took the movement to the streets. That's those old photos of people outside uh, the White House, outside the Pentagon, outside Independence Hall. Um which, which that, the first White House picket was 65. Yeah, which today look very conservative. You know, they're all very properly dressed. But at the time, I mean, they were holding signs that identified them as homosexuals. It was – they could have been killed. Uh, it was extremely radical what they were doing. And slowly but surely – But those were the more buttoned-up radicals. No, well, yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, yeah, but, but I mean, it was a, a factor of their time. So that was it. We went from the the Mattachine Foundation radicals, Harry Hay and others, and then the uh, the conservative wing sort of took that over, became the Mattachine Society, and then but they it, did not want to pick it. But the East Coast and the West Coast Mattachines were. I mean, affiliated, but not the same organization. So, I, for instance, Frank Kameny was sort of the, the face of the, the East machine in D.C., at least. Yeah. And and he wasn't really beholden to well, the, the, the rules or the people or anything else out in the West Coast. Yeah, the National Machine had, had broken up by that point. They were just using the name because it was known. Um, and and uh, slowly, I mean, it, it, there's a lot here, and that's why it's hard to tell. It's not just a series of moments, but one of the people that was involved in those early pickets outside the White House was a guy named Craig Rodwell. Craig Rodwell was addicted to picketing. He loved it. Uh, he was also involved with the annual reminders outside of Independence Hall on July 4th. A few days after Stonewall, July 4th, 1969, he's doing the Independence Day uh, uh, annual reminder. Um, the old guard, Frank Kameny, at, by that point, the old guard. And then these younger people, a lot of whom had just been rioting, kind of had a clash about all this button-down stuff. Rodwell and others realized they need something new. A few months later, they make this presentation at a, a convention of, of homophiles saying, we have an idea. We're going to commemorate Stonewall every year with a thing in June, at the end of June, and it's going to be open to everyone. And we're going to call it Christopher Street Liberation Day, and we're going to show our pride, and we need other cities to do it. So they reach out to LA, and they reach out to other cities, and this thing's called gay pride. And that's how, you know, so it, it's all connected. It's, and that's what we have found over and over. So that, and that happens the year after Stonewall? Yes, yeah, the first year. So this is, so Stonewall 50 now it was, was 19, 2019. 2020 is Pride 50. Like the, the first, that nobody would have known about Stonewall if it weren't for Pride. Stonewall, right. Stonewall is, that's the most important thing about Stonewall. And like when we talk about, you know, whether it's Compton's Cafeteria or uh, Cooper's Donuts or, or just riots that we don't know about certainly there were other times stonewall was not the first time that we fought back why we know about it is because there was a huge infrastructure and huge there was a big enough infrastructure that had been built for decades around the country that it activated this network to build this commemorative event gay pride and that's why it's become 
you know, the high holy day. So Stonewall was 69 and then the first Pride was 70? Yeah. Right. How fierce. So if y'all been living under a rock or if you maybe weren't living under a rock, but you don't really like understand like the uh, the meteorological events that led up to to Stonewall. So it's 1969. People have been having some protests here and there, but it's a little bit more buttoned up protests still, right? Like there was like the de- the Democratic Convention, wasn't there like a little baby queer protest there in like 60 something? Well, I mean, that, that, that was just a huge, that was the Democratic National riots. I mean, I don't 68 was a tumultuous year in we this country, but not Queers really, were there. It wasn't, right. we weren't. No, that, that did. Because what happened in 68, that's when Nick's, uh, MLK was assassinated. Yes. Um, Kennedy was Bobby Kennedy was was so killed. The, the Chicago, so the DNC, right in Chicago. Yeah, I mean that's those are those famous images of of downtown Chicago. The cops just letting loose on on protesters, and which was considered a cultural like turning point. And why one of the main reasons why it's considered a cultural turning point is because it was white kids. I mean the the you know of course there have been riots with cops beating the shit out of black kids for for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, but this one was a real game changer because for the first time, it was long-haired, radical white kids that, that, were, that were getting the shit beat out of them. And so, but that, it's a, it brings up a good point that because ra- what we need to remember is that riots were a part of uh, the cultural response during the late 60s. We, r- people rioted. It, it, it was, and so like, pe- we often talk, talk about Stonewall as if it was this out of nowhere thing it was it had been brewing yeah right right it was an option and right for not not in the queer liberation movement but but the year before but that's what i want to explain and set the stage for people because like i don't even know and so many people don't know so like 1968 and that's what we're talking about mlk happens bobby kennedy happens then the then the chicago democratic convention happens and so at this point it's like in chicago in la in new york in san francisco it is legal for police to fully arrest you for wearing women's clothes if you're a man if you're holding hands with the man if you're coming out of a gay bar is like as we saw in that 1986 decision so but that stuff was going on as commonplace because no one had just sued for it yet up until that 1986 decision with what we had just been talking about it's like in the 60s and 70s and like it's full game on for like really well not the 70s as much but in the 60s it's full game on for like fully discriminating against fucking with yeah you know i mean killing oppressing. Yes. yeah not just discriminate i mean not just discriminate against i mean it was it was it was awful it was it was it was right and there wasn't always a, a basis in a specific law for the the cops to I mean, raid a gay bar and but it's like beat if you up got all its patrons or whatever else took place. And it's not entirely gotten that much better. I mean, that, like, just it's gotten somewhat better. I just want to throw that that out there. Like, the raids are less now, but I mean, that yeah, it was just more blatant that that the 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 harassment and and. Uh, so you knew if you went to a queer bar in, in like 1968, there was a chance oh, that like yeah. police could come shut it down. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I mean, the Stonewall that wasn't the first night that had it had been raided, right? right. But they had had enough that night, uh, we, I, or at least some people did, and it and it just. I did some I did some research about raids in in Quincy, Illinois, and uh, at uh, Irene's Cabaret, at Irene's Cabaret, at the State Street Bar, at. Uh, at the, I, yeah, I have notes. At the hotel. So Quincy's New- where I'm from, if you don't know. So tell me about that. So you, and so I wanted to ask about that too. Like, what does research look like for you when you're like putting together a poster where you're like covering something on LGBT history? Like, what does it look like when you start to research something? Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, 
the way I mean, because we really just did this for our own self education to start. Uh, it is we just let the history take us. It, so we weren't really researching specific people or events or organizations. I mean, maybe we'd start with one, but I really would just let it. If I saw somebody else in a photo, I would, whoop, I would allow that path uh, to really just take me. I took my hands off the wheel often and, and would just let, and I mean, I'd end up with just hundreds of tabs open on my computer because I would just keep You're letting pedaling the bike. Yeah. yeah. I, I, but no yeah. hands. Yeah. yeah. Just and, letting it go. And one of the great things about trial by fire on Instagram is, is that, you know, t going with the hands on the wheel when our hand, when it was clear that our hands got on the wheel, meaning our implicit or explicit bias, uh, people would call us on it and we call it, we call each other on it. And, and, uh, you know, of course, so we're guided on Instagram, at least by our calendar. We have a this day in calendar. Um, but but in terms of the actual stories and the research, uh, yeah, it, it really, we just kind of get down rabbit holes. Um, I mean, so Quincy is a, so you, I knew you were from Quincy. I did a search about gay bars in Quincy and, you know, we have a number, there's a, there's a great deal of information online, not just on a Google search, but through the One Archives, through New York Public Library, you can start looking through periodicals to see where people went, to see people communicating with each other. And, and, and all of a sudden, the world will just kind of open up. And, and I, you know, this starts to sound creepy, but whatever. Like, you know, you, in your book, uh, it talks about how Quincy doesn't have, you know, it never felt like Quincy had a history, right? That, that, but, yeah. but that we all feel like that because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it has a queer history. But once you dig a little bit, it does. I mean, th there is a queer history. There were there were queer people there existing. There were queer people forever. Tell me about it. So I mean, what the hotel Quincy? Sorry, no, the hotel Newcomb, which I guess was demolished in 2013. It was right at Fourth and Main, which is now the History Center. I know it's very near the Harold Wig. I know exactly where it is. Yeah, uh, that was the cruising spot, like for gay men in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s and 70s. Uh, it was like it was the the place to go. Uh, uh, State Street Bar, which is now a pizzeria and yeah. Mexican food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pizzeria and Mexican yeah. food. Love that. Yeah, it's very uh, common. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then Irene's. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, we love which Irene's. Which is now Cabaret. back. Yes. Yeah, it, it, yeah those. Um, and then we also, so if I can't, uh, so one magazine was this, the first like real nationally syndicated, or syndicated, or distributed um, queer magazine. Uh, started in 53, went for about 20 years. So this is from July 1960, if I could just read this. Gentlemen, I would like to become a pen pal if and when you decide to allow it. I have been rather lonely in the past year as I went with one person for nine years, but due to my being in an accident and his being tied to his mother's apron strings, we called it a day. Since then, life hasn't any meaning. I don't know how to go about meeting anyone new and hope from day to day someone will come along. Mr. W., Quincy, Illinois. Oh! <laughs> 1960. That's July 1960. Like... These are people who 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 existed, who who had lives, and we've just been taught not to look for them and not to find them. And not oh my God, tell me other stories. <laughs> right. I, I mean, it's just so there is this view that everything pre Stonewall was just terrible life. But I mean, while he was sad in that letter, he had just come out of a nine year relationship with somebody. Uh, there was queer life out there. Yeah, and in Quincy, Illinois. Right. And, and, yeah. Was they, there they, any other letters from Quincy in there? Uh, no, but from some of the smaller towns around, like uh, Nauvoo, Ursa, Menden. Oh, I don't know. Or I think Ursa. There might have been. That yeah, was the Ursa's best a one. Gem. 
Um, oh my and god! Then, so, okay, there's also a person named Albert Cashier. Albert Cashier was a trans man who served in the uh, Civil War uh, in the Army, the Union Army's 95th Illinois, 95th Regiment, um, who uh, ended up. I mean, he he lived his life, uh, and at the end, near the end of his life, was transferred to the Sailor and Soldiers Home in Quincy, Quincy. Illinois. Yeah, and and uh, unfortunately, disgustingly, when uh, dementia set in near, at the very end of his life, he got transferred to a state mental hospital where, where, for the first time in eighty, however many years, they made him wear uh, female clothing. He actually ended up tripping on. Uh, 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 the hem of a garment and that's what killed him um but yeah so i mean quincy it's there it's there and what we need and what we try to have people understand is is that we get out there and, and find it like it's not it's it's just it's there and and it doesn't have the same and going back to lincoln it doesn't have the same language like it's very coded and it's very hard to find it's not going to just there's not going to be pictures uh, if there are send them in uh, it's there's not going to be it's not going to be as obvious but learn the language and and find it and don't tell it through the view that we've been taught to tell it, which is love is love and you know everything. We're all we're all going to be part of this great society. It's really sad sometimes. It's really hard sometimes. It's not easy. And there's also stories. We need to make sure that we're telling the whole story. We need to make sure that we. That it's not fair not to tell the stories. You know, people say talk about like an inclusive history. That that is kind of a cop out because it makes it sound like the the storyteller is doing somebody a favor an inclusive history especially when it comes to queer people is an accurate history there have always been trans women of color there have always been disabled queer people there have always been bisexuals we just have their stories are harder to find because there are they are more marginalized uh we have to find them if you are going to do this work you have to do the work and and uh to to do it half-assed is is unfair and we take a lot of shit on Instagram, we t- I mean, we we are constantly called on shit, always, always, and and that's hard. Uh, but sometimes it's really well done. And and one of the things that's great about this experience has been that we every day continuously have these moments of I'm never going to think about that again. The same. I'm never going to think the same way. About Can you that. give us some examples of those? Uh, yeah. I mean, I I you know well like. One that pops into my head is just the the book, uh, sending the book to a uh, this incredible, legendary bisexual activist who I we wanted to get a blurb from. Yeah, so and, this is pre pre print, yeah. and and uh, she ended up reading uh, the book, which you know blurbers don't usually <laughs> do, uh, and we got an email back, and she's a hero. She's one of my heroes. She's one of our heroes. Um, saying I cannot, I won't, I'm not going to blurb for this because you, 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 the way that you, you ignore and write out bisexual people is terrible. And, and not only will I not do a blurb, but I'm not going, if you, if this gets published this way, I will actively tell people not to buy this. And, and then she went through and of course went through and told me, told us where it had gone wrong. And at first, as always, the reaction is, you know, uh, I consciously tried, you know, and, and, and to just kind of write it off as overreaction, give it a few hours, give it a day, look back and just like, oh, she's absolutely right. And, you know, just talking about when we talk about the AIDS epidemic, 
We talk about the, the peak years. We talk about how many gay men died. Okay, queer people died. It wasn't just, and, and not to mention Haitians and hemophiliacs. Like, people died. When we talk about gay men, yes, we can talk about the inordinate number uh, of gay men, but we have written off bisexuals entirely in, in, in that equation. And that matters a lot. Um, it's, just little, it's just things like, it's not little, I mean, it's just things like that that will forever change our language. And it doesn't take much for us, but it means a world in terms of the platform that we have and the stories that we're telling. But I do think that there is an interesting thing there because, yes, like we should not erase people's stories. But I do think that that is an interesting story of like someone who's your hero, someone who is within the community who you're, you know, you're trying to get a blurb from. But it's like, I think sometimes because we have been marginalized and people have been written out and maybe not acknowledged when someone who is well-meaning and is actually on your side yeah. comes along and tries to do something and they fucking jump down your throat. Yeah. And I just think that that is this cycle of abuse that like when I was an assistant, like I think I always like remember telling myself, like I'm going to try to like never be this much of a nightmare to my assistants because people are like, you know, can be a nightmare. You know, you don't want to perpetuate that cycle, but it's like, you know, it, and I'm glad that you had a teachable moment and that you learned and, and whatever. But I just wish sometimes when people were, you know, giving you a teachable moment that they didn't have to like hike up their skirt and fucking tell you that they're going to actively tell people not to buy right. your fucking yeah. life's yeah. work. It's like, can you not take a huge steaming dump on all of my hard work, right. please? It, I, I understand I missed a, be a, a beat, comma. If you could just take a little off the fastball. Right. You she, know? <laughs> she was she was right. I don't know if she was right the way she approached it, but we didn't have a personal relationship with her. And some people require a kick yeah. to the face yeah, I mean, to after, sort of get it we would we would have been mortified with a far gentler tone but it, right, it would Lord have gotten it but she'd spent um, a career and a lifetime not being listened to and if that's what it took to get listened to right i mean she she had no way of knowing that we were going to listen to her even if she had just said um can we do this and but i do think that by like writing bisexual people off and like in bisexual voices not being heard and acknowledged on the same not being acknowledged, I think, is is wrong. And I know that bisexual people yeah. have been an integral part in like moving the conversation forward. And, and you know, uh, absolutely, I, yes. I mean, bi erasure is everywhere still. Yeah. It's still um, a joke. It's still, people just make, we constantly make jokes that just off the cuff. They're like, uh, you know, someone, some young person or older person comes out as bisexual. <laughs> it's just a pit stop or whatever. And it's really, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, well, of course we can't. We can, to a certain extent, all imagine, like just your identity is discounted immediately and as soon as if you partner off uh you are then heterosexual or you are then homosexual you're not by no they are bisexual and and they are you know if you have a uh, uh, uh an opposite sex or opposite gender partner you know the looks they get at pride uh, for being like they're queer people and and this of course i mean it's just bisexual start with transgender folks i mean it is we have a and what a lot of the focus of our work is not about uh, the oppression from outside because lord knows that's there uh it, it's a it's it's about our community what our approach is is about queer history so often marginalized history is told uh, like this lens of when we when the marginalized group did something that got on the oppressor's radar either when we died enough or when we cleaned up enough or when, whatever we did to to get their attention we tell this we have a history it's our history. Every once in a while, the cishets get our attention in, in our story. We right. have an internal 24 – But it's also – I mean a lot of that is how our own community has sort of prepackaged our the history that 
has made it out there uh, because it, that didn't they didn't want to include any sort of internal strife the the fighting be, that has gone on for decades between the radicals and the assimilationists for example I mean that continues to today clearly <laughs> which is like the mass for mass gay like it versus like why not all of us are femme and talk like you and wear heels and right. stuff you like, know I I am just right. like you I but I happen to like boys right. but in every other way and that doesn't actually infect anything else of me my worldview my anything right um Has i no just impact. have that one little thing that's different than you right. it's a lie it's a lie and 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 especially for white cisgender uh gay men who are promised the keys to the castle in the united states without the gay thing it, you know white cisgender men are are told in this world that they can do whatever they can go wherever they can be whatever but for gay men they have this one thing right that makes them different and and we so many of us do everything in our power to push that away and we grow up saying shit like it makes no difference it's just the same old matthew like i'm just i just haven't like guys i don't need gay bars i don't need gay places i don't need gay friends and and our community more and more and more is okay with that people saying that we don't have spaces we don't have places where people are saying what like no honey you need gay spaces you need queer people like and and that's we we were those or i certainly was but we were those guys like we didn't need those places we didn't need those sources and once we discovered history it was like like all of a sudden we were people we were real boys like it was it it we had a story to tell we had an anchor and, and it was and it, you know we can't just we don't have the it's it's a privilege to connect yourself to the stories of heroes of 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 women of color of lesbians of color trans women but you don't just get to say that you actually have to connect yourself to the struggle you actually have to you have to you have to figure out how that connection goes right. on and, and why it's been harmful for decades is that it 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 sort of plucks out those who traditionally have the most influence in our society to these places of, of comfort. Um, and then the rest of the community is left behind. And and we've seen that again and again, really over the years. And it, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, they, they want, they want us to be the effervescent, like a certain kind of, of gay. But as soon as it gets political, it's like, Jesus, you know, like I mean, you guys can get married. It's like, what's what? I mean, Pete Buttigieg. Like, it's just they they will rattle off these things that they think they've given us, um, and and a lot of our community continues to buy into it, or at least say they buy into it. I mean, there is there are so many epidemics that continue to rage in our community: bullying, suicide, uh, trans women of color, lack of access to healthcare, uh, HIV, homelessness, homelessness, HIV among people of color. Uh, it, it goes on and on and on, and and addiction, addiction, right? It just go, I, right, and let me be that is not an exhaustive list. It goes on and on yeah. and on, and that you know we people who talk like that are like God, you're such a bummer. But it's it's that we have so much work to do, and and that should excite people. That should we have meaning. We have we have fights to fight, and we have the history uh, that shows that we can win these fights. And there are incredible people who have been fighting these fights. But we have got to get going. Well, there are already tons of people who are doing this work. We have got to get more people involved with those incredible organizations and those incredible individuals who are doing that work. So as we're wrapping up, 
Uh, what's your suggestion to people who don't feel like they have an anchor and they are part of the queer community and they feel very isolated, they feel very alone, they feel like they're the first gay person in their town that they've ever heard of. How do you tell someone to start to get it, to connect with this work? After they follow LGBT. <laughs> and by we are everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a big book, though. I, I would, well, you know, I don't know. Be safe. Just do whatever you can. And and then, yeah, history would, if I wish that I had had history when I was younger, because that was a way just going. But like, what sites do you use to go find that? Pe- like, so how do you find that? One, one, the one archives at, at USC, the University of Southern California, Lesbian History Archives, um, the NYPL, uh, or yeah, email us. Um, yeah, especially and, and that mean, story that'll it, get us every. While time it's not an immediate answer, I mean, to the extent people otherwise are able to, I mean, go into these studies, even right. if it's not going to be your career, you might have an opportunity in your academic pursuits to advance this, to uncover more history, to make spaces that are more accessible for others it's to like learn anthropology but with like cultural history right. Anthropology. there is an amazing amount of material out there that we uh, haven't touched uh, yeah i mean periodicals and and photographs and everything else but it is i mean there are people that spend so much time and are so busy just tr- collecting and cataloging and i mean we, we need more we need more people <laughs> to to come in and go through it and out digest of, it and, and make it accessible out of the bars and into the archives and remember, there are over 200, just in the U.S. alone, there are over 200 LGBTQ community centers. If you th- if you don't think that your town has a community center, just check again. And I know that it might be hard to get there or to, to, to walk in, but the first time, I swear, the first time that you walk into a community center, it is it will lift every weight. Like, it is an incredible place. Just do whatever you can to find queer people because you, it's okay to need them. Ah! Never a better way to end a podcast ever. Thank you so much, Matthew and Layton. I really appreciate your time. I love you both so much. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guests this week were Layton Brown and Matthew Reamer. You'll find links to their work in the episode description of wherever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. S'il vous plaît. That means, if you will, in French, I'm pretty sure. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Getting Curious is produced by me, Julie Creo, Ray Ellis, Chelsea Jacobson, Colin Anderson, and Emily Bosick. <laughs>